Jesus take the microphone. Let's go. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and and not yours. That's it. That's it. Next Done. Week, next week, the live episode. It sure is. It's our 200th episode. If y'all can handle it. Oh, I can't. I mean, we already did it. I know, but I haven't edited it yet. That's fair. So I can't handle it. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, stop. stop. Go back. Start from the beginning. Episode one. Grumble in my mouth a little You've bit. 200 episodes to catch up on. And if you're starting at a random episode, why? Please tell, because we don't understand. What is it? Is it the title name that makes you start there, or is it the description? I really want to know. I got to know. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Sarah is the one who's really upset about it. I just need to know. I need to know why you don't start from the beginning. Do you do that with all of your podcasts, and how does that work out for you? Do you, Are you happy with that decision? Are I, you happy with that decision now as I berate you? I feel you? like I do that, and then if I like it, I'm like, let me go start from the beginning. Let me go figure this figure this out. They got me. I want to know what I'm missing. And I have done that as well, and so my and usually it's because I'm researching something, and I looked it up, and this podcast and that had that topic. Up. So I listened to it, and then I was like, oh, I like this podcast. Let me, let me start from, from the, the beginning. beginning. So if you are that. doing that, I want to know why you're starting where you're starting and if you're starting with this episode and you're like it's because your most recent one that's fair but just tell me that you need an email from every person who doesn't start at the beginning explaining why I really that's your homework (laughs) like I really expect that from you um, because I'm I'm about to be at 200 episodes now and I just really feel like you owe me that Um. (laughs) so this episode comes out on the What's today? I was about to say the second. Today is the sixth. So this episode comes out on the 10th. So I've got some gigs coming up, and that's very exciting. Yeah, you do. So uh, it's in two weeks from now. I have something on a Wednesday. I'm doing Gay Bill. I love doing Gay Bill. That is at Tavern on Kamak here in Philadelphia. There is no cover, but it is at Wednesday at, at a 10 p.m. time. And I know that that's, <laughs> that's why there's no cover. Um, not a lot of people come to that, but it's a good time, and you should totally be there. But then I'm very excited that on Sunday, the 27th, I will be performing in a Sondheim review kind Ooh. of thing uh, as Polly Wanda Cracker. There's Ooh. a lot of drag people in it. My One of my drag moms, Eric Jaffe, Maria Topcat, who is one of my favorite uh, drag like showgirl performers here in Philadelphia, mm. Wet Betty. She was a contestant in season one. Rita Brujariha, they are a burlesque performer I really like here. Ashanti Dahl, another burlesque performer. But it's going to be a big like Sondheim Review at Frankie Bradley's. You know we love Frankie Bradley's. That's where we did our live show. That's where they yes. do Snatcherella. That is Sunday, March 27th. So Mark those it. Are two gigs I have coming up this month if you guys want to come see me do some some shit. It's crazy we're already in March. It is crazy we're already in March. Wild. And we'll have official cast announcement soon for Mbeth. We will. We'll have something coming up soon again this summer that both Stephanie and I will be in That's together. Right. Me, That's not Sarah, Dead Time Stories. Both directed by Mary Angela, one of our favorites. And then show favorites like uh, Teresa is going to be in it. T-Nut. Yes. And our good friend Josh Hawkins. And Jared. And Jared If Thomas. you remember. And he is legal now. He is legal He's now. He's fully legal. He's been legal for a couple of minutes. Good for him. Do you remember? He was barely. He doesn't legal. listen anymore. He sure doesn't. <laughs> Jared, do you hear this? Nope, he's you don't. Too, he's too cool for us now because he's in college. He's in college and we're old biddies. That's okay. He'll, you know, live <laughs> reality when he graduates like the rest Ooh. of us. We'll welcome him back. Back to reality. Oh, back goes to gravity. life. Back to reality. Sarah, what's going on in your life? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> How's Larry? How's your Larry's new baby? Good. He's good. No, yeah, the baby's good. 
We um, will be starting our gardening process soon. I think I told you we got a garden plot. I'm just trying to stay afloat. Yeah. That's sure. really about it. I got the. This is it. I'm doing the show. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your mom's friend. Just listen to the show. This tell your mom and tell your pa. I'm going to send them back to Arkansas. Whoa. Hey, they're like, where's Arkansas? I'm like, I don't know. Because we, we have people who listen to other countries. Um. <laughs> That's really about it. Yeah, no, I'm putting a lot of work into the show and uh, just trying to keep my head afloat. And um, just, I'm still alive. Yeah, man. That's fair. The world is a shit show. Man, I got to tell you, people have been excited that that about this hobby of making candles. I love that for you. Yeah, you came That's over and you exciting. made candles for me. It yeah, was it was so much time. fun. Um, I've made some more candles. I'm going to keep oh, yeah. making candles. But people have messaged me about it and been like, that's cool. And like, I love that. Cool. Hopefully I'll turn it into money at some point. You know, I don't want to think like that because I'm an artist, but we live in capitalism. So like, what am I going to do? Yeah. I find myself constantly struggling with the like, how do I turn this into money? And should I be thinking like that? I know. Because I'm like, we've been doing this podcast for almost four years. And I'm like, I can't. This is not a money maker, guys. But future. If like, you, you didn't got, know. We are not We do this for the love of, of each other and for the love and the of making show, art And making together. art. And it's just hard because I'm like, should I feel bad that I'm not making money doing this? No. But then I'm like, I put so much time into this. Yeah. And in a capitalist society, time equals money. Money, right? And so should I? Yeah. It's a constant struggle. Support our Patreon. Or just send us money. We would love that. <laughs> Please. No, it's fine. We break even. That's it. It's, I was like, we break, we even, break even and we're able to buy merch when we're ready to buy merch. Yeah. And and book a venue and pay for people when we need to pay for people. It was cool. Which was good. It totally worked out. It was worth it. But, you know, it's yeah, it's a constant struggle of I, sh- I should be doing this because I love doing this, not because I need to monetize it. Right. Because cause then I feel like I lose my love for it when I look at it like that. Do we take a... Do we take a break after episode 200? Do we take a break at some point? I don't know. Never. Never. No, the people want more. Those 10 people who listen to us. Gail Marie expects it. Gail Marie (laughs) expects her content and I will not let her down. (laughs) I am proud of the fact that we've always released something every week. We have. Even if we don't record something, yeah, like we'll put out We'll put something out for you. And this is not a poor me and poor our show. This no. is just a life like struggle as an artist in this capitalist society that we live in that makes us have to have day jobs that still don't pay us enough money to support the art that we want to do that and we have to do outside of the, of the 40 hours. And we have to think about how everything inflation got a gas right now. And I still have to oh, clean my God. house. I have to keep up with my housework and my cleaning and feeding my dog. I, I just pay I have- somebody else's mortgage. Because I rent because that's it's America. And I don't have, I, I mean, I have insurance, but this it, doesn't, it doesn't scary. feel like I can go to the doctor. These are scary topics. I have hey, chills. They're you, multiplying. Hey, you're listening to a scary topic podcast. <gasps> <laughs> you want to hear something really scary? 401k. Ooh, pension. Oh. Social security will be exhausted <laughs> by the time that you're old enough to use it. <laughs> Hey, Sarah. Hey, S- <laughs> Is this a good time to segue? Back you know, to it's really life. Back, back to, to reality. Uh, it's like I went back and I started from the beginning because I listened to my own advice. Sure. And um, it was like episode nine is called more like debt time stories or oh, something yeah, sure. stupid. It's from the beginning. We have been complaining about this for years. It's only gotten worse. Oh, Lordy mercy. It's like I, you know, I, I keep getting excited when I make more money, but then I'm like, but everything costs more. But I have more expenses. But everything costs more than <laughs> Back to. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Yeah, shut hey. me out of it. Hey, hey Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? ghosts? What are you talking about this week, Sarah? Oh, to get off the topic of debt and life and money. So I mentioned to you 
that I watched that Netflix docuseries, Worst Roommate Ever. I've explicitly not watched it because I knew you were talking about something from it. I am. I I was like, do I have enough time to work this up? I said, I have enough time to work this up for a Dead Time Story spark notes. So this is not a full-fledged deep dive into this like I normally do because I think that you should go and watch it. Um, The whole series in and of itself is very good. Each episode is a different story about a different bad roommate. And as I've had to clarify to friends, as I've told friends about this, when I say bad roommate, I don't mean like they stole your stuff, they trashed their room. I mean like they murdered you. Like that's bad. Like that bad of a roommate that they like unalived you. Like you woke up. So you aren't necessarily on the show alive talking about your experience. But like your family is. Gotcha. Yeah. So and that's not all of them. There are different ones. What I'm specifically talking about is I'm talking about the last two episodes, which are a two parter for one story. Okay, it's a two parter on Netflix, but you're giving it to us in one part. Yes. Again, this is the Spark Notes. Go watch it because it gets very into detail and it's got all the testimonials of the victims um, as they're talking about it. I'll preface prefaces by saying I started watching this by myself. I got through the first two episodes um, and I had mentioned to Charlie, like, I'm watching this. And he was like, oh, someone mentioned that to me. And we never watched it together. I slept in Saturday morning. He got up. He went downstairs. He started watching it. He watched the first episode. And then it started what he thought was the second episode, but Netflix instead pinged him down to the end, Mm. which was where I was. So he then started the last of the last two, like the beginning of the last two episodes. He comes upstairs, he wakes me up, and he goes, hey, I started watching that Worst Roommate Ever. I got to the second episode. You didn't tell me that the second episode takes place in Chestnut Hill. And I was like, what? Huh? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it takes place in Chestnut Hill. I was like, that's not the second episode. The second episode takes place in Orange, California. Anyway, I get up. I come downstairs. I go, yeah, no, you started the last episode. I haven't watched this yet. So I promptly sat down and we watched it. And And it took place in Chestnut Hill. The beginning of it takes place right up the street. Yes. And for those of you unfamiliar with the Philadelphia layout, uh, Mary Angela and Sarah both live more in the Germantown area of Philadelphia, but Chestnut Hill is literally two neighborhoods up. Yes. It goes Germantown, Mount Airy, Chestnut Hill. Exactly. So it's it's like, you know, two yeah. or three miles up the street. And Chestnut Hill is the more affluent. Fin- there it is. Affluent. <laughs> I was going to say more financially better off. Anyways, we go down, we start watching it. Here's the story. Ready. We're following this woman named Alex. She's living in these apartments that are right next door to the Indian restaurant that Charlie and I love to get Indian takeout from. And I will go and park in the parking lot of these apartments when I go pick up the takeout food. Okay. She lives there. Is that up near past the Staples? Yes. It's by the train station, by the Chestnut Hill East line. Got you. The like Winmore train station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was like, you know, and is and is there as they're doing the documentary, (laughs) you're like, I know where that is. I know exactly. As they're showing the documentary, there's like, you know, showing clips of the neighborhood and showing her standing places. And Charlie and I are like, oh, that's bad. bad, bad, Right, right, right. You're like, oh, that's over by this. That's over by this. This happened 2017. So that's when we we were were living on Porter Street. Yes. Yes. This happened there. Our story is going to start in Chestnut Hill. It's going to end in Elkins Park, which is just a neighborhood not even 10 minutes from here. Mm-hmm. So all of this happened right in our backyard. And we, I didn't hear about it on the news. Was Stacey Dubowski there? She was, but she preferred to not be like, have it known that she I was there. I just imagine they're like later. showing different like parts of the neighborhood. And then you see us just outside stagecrafters. In the background. In the background. Honestly, as we were watching it, Charlie and I were looking at the people being like, did we do ever we know any of these do we know do we see by? them at the bar? Sure, yeah, like yeah, yeah. do we know? Wild. Crazy. Okay. So Alex is living in those apartments in Chestnut Hill 2017. Her roommate had moved out and she hadn't found a new roommate. And her mom was like, You gotta get a roommate. I'm you know, her mom was helping her foot the full bill. Her mom was like, You gotta get a roommate, you gotta get a roommate. So she did what a lot of people did in 2017. Is she put an ad in Craigslist? Yes. And she got a response. She got a response from a man named Jed Creek. 
Jed said that he was, uh, he studied law, but he never passed the bar. And he was a tutor. And he gave her his, like, tutoring website info about him. Sure. And all of it looked legit. So she agreed to meet Jed at a Starbucks down in um, in Center City. She met Jed. Jed was like, I have a dog. Um, and, you know, I am living in New York right now, but I'm traveling down to Philadelphia for work. And I really just would like to have a home base in Philly. And I, I was born and raised like outside of Philadelphia. I haven't really been back since college. At one point he says to her, I find Philadelphians to be really difficult people. I find them to I be mean, very he flaky. Wrong. He's not he wrong. wrong. But for this guy <laughs> to say that is sure. like you piece of shit. Well, he also said he was born there, right? That he yeah. was a Philadelphia person. So yes. he himself was also is difficult. an asshole. So she's like, okay. So she says, I'm going to, you know, let's go back to my neighborhood. I'm going to grab my dog because she had a dog. She said, let's have the dogs meet. And if the dogs get along, then, then this, yeah, like, this could be a thing. Happens. Sure. So the dogs meet, the dogs get along. They go back to her apartment. She says, okay, so when were you thinking about moving in? And he pulls out a checkbook and he was like, ah, uh, the Airbnb I'm staying at is draining my account. I need to move in tonight. Ugh, and he writes her a check. Red flag. Red I flag. I know. He writes her a check and she says, okay, um, sure, uh, but I do need you to fill out this application for the landlord. Yes. And he said, of course, no problem. So she takes the check. He goes to get his things. He comes back. He comes back with, she said it was six to eight Tupperware plastic storage bins, his dog, a cat, and a fish. And he didn't mention the cat and the fish. He did not mention the cat and the fish. And she is allergic to cats. She's like, hey, you didn't mention this. She's like, you didn't mention the cat. He's like, no worries, no worries. The cat will always be in my room. You'll never notice the cat. You'll never notice the cat. She's like, okay. Then things started to get weird. She would come home from work and her stuff would be moved. She had plants on the windowsill. She'd come home. They were moved somewhere else. They were gone. She'd come in and try to flip the lights on. The light bulbs were unscrewed from the lamps. The fuck? One day she came in. She had a dining room table with six chairs. She came home and all of the chairs were gone. She knocked on his door and she was like, hey, buddy. What's up with this? Do you wear the dining room chairs? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. I needed a table and a desk. The chairs make a good table and a desk. And she was like, you need all six of them? And then he gaslit her. And he was like, "You, uh, there's only you and me. Why do you need six chairs at your table? You don't need that. Uh, Alex, this is ridiculous. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? And then he stopped paying. And he wouldn't pay. And she, would, she came to him. And she came to him with the internet bill. And she said, you've been here a month. I expect you to pay this. And he laughed in her face. And things progressively got worse. Sure. He's not paying. And at one point, he basically told her, this is my house. This is not your house. This is my house. So Alex called her mom. And Alex is like, mom, I need help. And so mom Googled him. And mom Googled Jed Creek. And Jed Creek pulled up a creek somewhere in Western USA. Sure. So she Googled his phone number. And she found out that his real name was Jameson Bachman. And Jameson Bachman was a serial squatter who had been terrorizing victims all up and down the East Coast. Oh, Jesus Christ. Dun, dun, dun. Rewind the tape. We're going to backtrack a little bit. We're going back to 2005. Right? It's the year I graduated high school. Well, it's the year Jameson Bachman was pulling some shit on a woman named Eileen in Queens, New York. I'm sure he was. So poor, or not Eileen, Arlene. So poor Arlene. Arlene met him organically, like out at a dog park, and they struck up a romantic relationship. And they would date. And he was working as a teacher for a private school for like eight to ten-year-old boys. And the school let him live in the house on the grounds as a teacher, which a lot of private schools have that. Sure. Well, then the kids started to complain about him because he was assigning projects that were too hard. He wasn't listening to the students. They were just not getting along. And he got fired. And he had nowhere to live. And he refused to leave the premises? No. 
He went to Arlene's. He didn't squat the school first? No, he didn't squat the school first. they weren't going to have it. They because, were, they were, yeah, they, it they were was like, we will dump your shit out school. on the street, bro. Yeah. Actually, I, I'd have to look back, but I he might have tried to push it, but he got kicked out. So he had to go. He stayed with Arlene. Arlene was like, okay, you can come stay with me till you get on your feet. Like, I care for you. I realize, sure. like, you're going to be homeless. Come stay with me. Big mistake. Big. Huge. huge. She let him move in. Day one, she comes home from work. He's rearranged her living room furniture. Day one. He's like, it's my place too now. Yep. I can stay here. Yep. He lived in her apartment for four years. Oh, no. Four years. He ruined this woman's life. In the last two years, she said she was sequestered to her bedroom she just had to stay in her bedroom because he was everywhere else and he was angry and he didn't pay he definitely didn't pay Arlene had four cats when he moved in oh no he moved in with the dog she had four cats remember that one day she comes in and is telling him like you need I need you to pay like you need to pay rent I need I need you to do this. And he got violent with her. He got mad and he choked her. She kicked him in the groin, ran out of the apartment. She called the cops and he called the cops. Cops show up. Cops tell her tomorrow morning, go down to family court and get a restraining order. He beat her to it. He got out a restraining order on her first she got out a restraining order on him. So they're both living in the apartment with restraining orders on each other. So one day she finally calls her landlord and she's talking to her landlord. And on the phone, she says, will you come with me down to court to file the eviction papers? She says she thinks that he must have heard her talking to the landlord because when she got back, from court she was in the bathroom putting on makeup and he came in and he like assaulted her again and was like I you don't ever think like this is my house I'm not leaving and she left and she's on the train and a few hours later she gets a call from her landlord and her or no he left walked out so then she left and went about her day she got a call from the landlord saying Arlene the police are here for you they say they need to talk to you she goes down the, to the police station. The police goes, Arlene, I'm putting you under arrest. He had gone and filed that she had attacked him with a knife. And so she showed up to the police station. They full on arrested her. What they a booked her. Nightmare. They booked her. She was put on a year of probation and she was not allowed to go back to that apartment. She had those four cats. While she was gone, two of her older cats had to have medication. He took those cats to a kill shelter. Yeah. By the time she got to them. They'd been put down. Or one of them had been put down. The other one was so bad off physically because it hadn't had its medication that she had to put it down. And then he would not give her her other two cats back. She lost that apartment. She could not go back. So then he proceeded to make the landlord's life a living hell because he wouldn't move out. And the landlord's trying to evict him, trying to evict him. But remember, he said he's a lawyer or he studied law, but he didn't pass the bar. So he knew all the squatters' rights. Oh, yeah. He knew everything to do. And he would make it living hell for the tenants living in the units around him. So the people living below him, they said he would throw like bowling balls on the floor, leather pipe, like metal pipes on the floor just to make so much noise for the people below him. He would throw kitty litter out the back into the landlord's backyard. He would run water 24 seven just to rack up the water bill for the landlord. That he wasn't paying. Yes. He wasn't paying anything. Mm -hmm. Pause on that story because he finally gets evicted. He does from that apartment. He does finally get evicted from that apartment. Now, Jameson, 
is from Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. He went to Cheltenham High School right up the street. I think that's where Jared went. Well, there you go. <laughs> so in this documentary, too, they interview these two people who went to high school with Jameson. And I guess maybe to try and give you a make him seem like a person and not just an evil con man doesn't really work for me but they interview these friends of his and they tell this story that Jameson growing up you know was felt the pressure of being a younger brother that his family put on him to be perfect blah 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 Uh, but then he went to college and while he was at college he told his friend that he was at a fraternity house eating dinner with another high school friend and out of nowhere one of the fraternity brothers comes out with a meat cleaver and decapitates his friend in front of him what and he's not totally wrong. There was a stabbing. So the other fraternity brother came out of the kitchen with a meat cleaver and stabbed that kid to death. Sliced his jugular. Didn't decapitate him. But stabbed him right in front of Jameson. And that's when he was in college? That's when he was in college. They said that at that, that point his whole crazy, mood changed. I guess. I'm sure that's, that that's what people that's what will made say. Him be like, I'm going to take advantage of all these people for the rest of my life for no reason that they didn't do anything. Yeah. So no, I don't buy that. At like that sucks. I'm really sorry that that happened in front of you, but that is no excuse for what you did. No excuse whatsoever for you to turn into a manipulative bully and ruin these people's lives. And he also another common theme is he's like a six foot two man. All of these victims, they were all women. They're all women. They're all small, petite women. Yep. Yep. That's no excuse for me. No. So after he gets kicked out of the Queen's apartment in New York, we're going to move on to our next victim, Sonia. Sonia lives in Rockaway Beach, which is also a part of you know, Queens, New York. Yep. She had bought this condo, her dream condo, right on the beach. She talks about how much, you know, she took out of her pension to get it, and it was just her dream, and she had gotten it with a partner, and her partner of 10 years and her split up, and so she could no longer afford the mortgage all on her own. Sure. So she needed a roommate. So she put out an ad on Craigslist. She said she got two hits on the ad. One was a New York lawyer. The other was a young couple with a small child. So who'd she go with? The New lawyer. York lawyer. She said he showed up for their meeting. She opened the door, and she said he was very nice, and she noticed on the street that there was a U-Haul there. And he said, yeah, sorry, I hope you don't mind. I just, I had to get out of my ex-girlfriend's house, and, you know, I have a check. If you can, I can move in today. I just couldn't stay there any longer. And if you could let me move in tonight, that'd be really great. Otherwise, I'll be sleeping in the U-Haul. So she's like, okay. He's got a check. I need my mortgage to be paid so I can keep my dream home. Come on in. Oh, honey. Yep. So Jameson starts ruining Sonia's life. He waits about four months. But four months in, then he stops paying. Stops paying. When she asks him, I need you to pay, he laughs in her face. And he says this line to almost all of them. This is my house. This is my home. He moved her things. And then she started suspecting him of going into her room. So he got so bad about not paying rent that she said, all right, well, Jameson, I am, I'm going to have to rent out the living room. Like, I can't, I need someone to come in. Like, I need help paying this, so I'm going to rent out the living room. She put up a tent in her living room and rented it out to a woman with two dogs. She had a dog. Jameson had a dog and two cats. So Jameson showed up with Arlene's two cats. Of course. One day... Sonia gets a call from her tenant who lives in her living room. She said, Sonia, I'm going to have to call the police. Jameson's making me very uncomfortable. He's threatening me. He's telling me that my dogs are stinking up the apartment, that I'm not supposed to be here. He's like, he's making me feel very threatened and unsafe. And I have noticed that like things are moved around in my room when I'm gone. My room being this tent. Being this tent in the living room. So ultimately she had to move out. So Sonia still left footing the bill. 
And then the last straw is she sets up in her room a little booby trap to catch and see if he is going into her room. She finds out that he is. She confronts him and she says, you can't go in my room. My room is off limits. He gets up, pushes her up against the wall, gets in her face and he goes, this is my house. This isn't your house. This is my house. You don't ever tell me what to do or where to go. But Sonia is a little spitfire, and Sonia takes self-defense classes, and then they show us a montage of her fucking smacking the shit out of a mannequin, like heel palming it, straight, like punch, punch, punch. And she said that she straight up, like, smacked the doorframe wall right behind him and was like, don't fuck with me, buddy. Like, I want you out of here. You don't know who you're fucking with, friend. You don't know who you're fucking with. Thankfully, in a weird way, Hurricane Sandy happened. And so Sonia left to go stay with her mom to get away from Hurricane Sandy. When she came back, Jameson was gone. But the damage he had done, she lost her home. Her home was foreclosed on. She said she will probably never be able to afford to buy another house again. And she will. she's not able to afford to retire because it took all of her money. Yeah. And she still lost her dream home. Mm-hmm. So now he's decided to make his way to Philadelphia and he's hanging out here in Chestnut Hill in 2017 terrorizing Alex and fucking with her and threatening her. So Alex is like, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I got to get you out of my apartment, but I can't be too forceful with it because my mom says like, you're violent. Like I've got to be careful. So she decides what's one of the most Philly ways to get someone out I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to throw a rager. I'm going to do all of the things he hates. And the things he hates are. nonstop. The things he hates are loud rap music, smoking, and people in the space. Here we go. And she goes, I love her so much. She goes, I'm a Wu-Tang girl, baby. There we go. And she threw a party. And she threw a party where she was like, people, we were blasting Wu-Tang. We were drinking Jameson whiskey to get rid of Jameson. (laughs) We had his articles, so her mom found all the articles about him being a serial squatter that had been written about him, printed out copies of all the articles, had them all over the party. Everyone was talking about him while he's in his bedroom. <laughs> Everyone's smoking cigarettes. Everyone's smoking pot. Her her mom was there. Her mom was like, I'm going. Like, I'm going to see this. Smoke him out. And they were blowing cigarette smoke under the door into his room. Good for them. And so finally, at, I think she said 11 o'clock at night, he comes out of the room. And all the all the party goers are like, hey, <laughs> you want to come party with us? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he takes his dog and he goes out for a walk. So while he goes out for a walk, she gets her friends to take the door handle off of his door. So he can't lock his door. Take the door handle off. He comes back. He does not like that. He closes the door to his room, and they said he's just pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, ultimately, her mom is like, you got to wrap this. Like, everyone is fucking tired. Like, go home. She said the party wrapped up. She said she woke up the next morning unusually early, uh, around 4.30 in the morning, and she's in the bathroom. She said she's brushing her teeth, and she hears Jameson come out of his bedroom door. And she kind of says to him, oh, (laughs) Can't sleep. And she said he came into the bathroom and he threw her up against the wall in a chokehold and said, you are messing with the wrong person, you fucking bitch. She got away. He let her go. He walked into his room. She threw a toothbrush down. He didn't lock the door. He couldn't. (laughs) Because he couldn't. She threw the toothbrush down and she stormed into his room and she said, excuse me, what the fuck did you just say? And she said at the time he was holding a little kitchen knife. He went over and he slammed. So she's standing there with the door open and her leg sort of in between the door and the door frame. She said he slammed her leg in the door frame like 10 times and then started slashing at her leg with the knife. She got away. She called the cops. The cops showed up. She said thankfully one of the cops noticed that she had a mark on her neck and said, do you have any other visible marks? And she's like, I'm pretty sure I'm bleeding. They arrested him. Good. Thank God. Immediate restraining order? Immediate arrest, immediate restraining order, immediate restraining order with eviction. Excellent. 
So he's out. She keep <laughs> she keep the dog and the cats. So yeah, a she. She's um, now got two dogs, two cats. I know, right? Honestly, I can't remember what happened to. So he showed up to her with one cat. Somewhere along in this story, we find out that he tells a friend that he's so sad because the second cat died in his arms one night. We all agree that he probably, he probably killed, killed that killed cat. It. Yeah. So he's gone. He's arrested. Immediate eviction. His brother bails him out. His brother lives in Elkins Park. His older brother bails him out of jail. So he needs to collect his things from the apartment. And Alex talks about how, you know, as soon as he was out, she immediately went in and started packing up all of his shit. She's like, I want it out of here. While she's packing up all of his stuff, she finds a gun case that is empty. So no gun in the gun case. That freaks her out. She packs up all of his stuff. Her mom says, if you're going to give him his stuff, you need to do it in the parking lot of a police station. So they go to the police station. She gives him his things. And he says, where's my dog? And she said, my friend adopted your dog. You're not getting your dog back. And he said, you fucking bitch. I'll fucking kill you. You mess with the, like, you mess with the wrong guy. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And he sped off. And her mom goes, you were going to march your little butt into that police station and you're going to tell him that he just violated his restraining order. And she went inside. She said he violated his restraining order. He got arrested again. His brother bailed him out again. And then, a few days later, he shows up to his brother's house. His brother's not letting him live with him. His brother's bailing him out, but his brother's like, you can't live with me. You can't stay here. He shows up to his brother's house, and he murders his brother with an axe. Blunt force trauma to the head. He then takes his brother's credit card, and he goes to a hotel. The police get a call from the brother's wife saying, my husband didn't check in with me this morning. I think something's really wrong. His last He's got a crazy brother. His last message. Out of jail again. Exactly. His last message to me was, guess who just showed up here? My Jameson. crazy brother, yeah. So the police go over there. The police find the crime scene. The police find him, unfortunately, dead. Then they see on his phone the notification from a credit card transaction at the hotel they go to the hotel they get to the room that jameson has rented out the cops go in jameson is wielding a little like hatchet axe jameson manages to strike one of the cops in the face with the axe get another cop in the leg before they tase him and take him into custody don't get me started on that whole aspect of this entire story. So obviously it hasn't been mentioned yet, but he's He's white. a white guy. <laughs> 100% white guy. If you couldn't guess by anything else in the story. By the fact that they the walked in. The fact that he used a hatchet on two police officers and they still tased, tased him, him over shooting him. And I, you know. Obviously this man is white. And it's not, you know, I will say it's not the Philadelphia police, because I do think the Philadelphia police probably would have gone in guns at blazing. It was the Montgomery County police. Sure. But it's I still believe that if it had been a person of color wielding a hatchet, they would have fired they on sight. Fired him. I agree. Either way, Jameson gets arrested again for the murder of his brother. And then two days before his court hearing, he fucking hung himself. And he killed himself. God damn it. Right? Where? In in prison. In the jail cell. He Jeffrey Epstein himself. Well, not because well, Jeffrey, no, Jeffrey Epstein didn't, didn't kill, kill himself. himself. <laughs> <laughs> he, the narrative we were sold on Jeffrey Epstein himself. I love you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he took the coward's way out and he killed himself. Son of a bitch. You're supposed to kill yourself first. First. Before you victimize all the other people and murder somebody. And murder your brother who bailed you out of jail twice. <sighs> that sucks so hard. Yeah. And that's the story. Like, ugh. Ugh, I and hate it. That's the spark notes because you could get into more detail of the ways that he terrorized these women and Ruin their lives amongst, I assume, many others that we don't even hear about on Netflix. Yeah, I'm sure, I, there have to be others. There have to be. Yeah. 
So that's my story. The whole series is well worth the watch. It's only the like six episodes, including this last two parter. Mm -hmm. But considering this happened in our backyard while we were living here. And we here, never heard about and it. And we never heard about it. was just insane that I was like, I got to talk about it. 199th episode. The apartment hunting I've done on Craigslist. I also thought about that. And I was like, Stephanie could maybe do a worst roommate ever, but like, she didn't kill you or Val. She just threw her pee out the window. No, and she's not worse than Brian. Brian is the worst roommate oh I ever God, had. You're undoubtedly. Right. I'm like, she was she was weird, but she didn't she make me bad. feel unsafe. He was Brian made me feel unsafe. You could, almost could have had your Netflix special. I could have had my Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. If he had done what he did to you to other people, you probably could have positioned to be on the show. Probably. Like, they don't have to kill you for you to be on here. It just helps. It just helps. <laughs> Ooh. That's my story. Stephanie, what are you talking about this week? So, you know what's funny? Isn't that funny? I'm also talking about a con man. <laughs> no. <laughs> We do not discuss this beforehand. We don't. We, we don't ever discuss what we're talking about before we, we go to really record. Don't. And it makes me laugh because we've never come in to talk about the same thing. But I'm always you like, managed you know, to, yeah. going on 200 episodes now, it hasn't happened yet. But I'm always like, wouldn't that be hysterical if we came in one day and it's like, oh, my God, that's what I'm talking about. We're still just waiting for the day it's going to happen. But I also, like I said, I didn't watch the Worst Roommate Ever series because you. I knew, yeah, that you were doing something from it. So I was like, well, I will wait. So, Yeah. Sarah, have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks? I sure have. Great. So I'm going to be talking about Frank a Frank Abigail Jr. Leonardo DiCaprio. He was Leonardo DiCaprio's Great. character. So I saw that movie in Gangs of New York on the same trip to visit my grandmother. Oh, in interesting. Rico, um, whatever year that was. Because, Ages ago. Because my grandma loved Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. as I found out on that visit, and she was like, these are the two movies I want to see while you're here. And they both had Leonardo DiCaprio. And you're like, Grandma, I'm seeing a trend. Um, but today we're talking about Frank Abengale Jr., which is the character that Leonardo DiCaprio portrayed. And we're going to talk about the real life of this character, who is considered the greatest con man in modern history. Whoa. Right? So he was born on April 27th, 1948. And according to Frank, his career as a little con man began at the age of 16. So he said that when he was 16 years old, he was taken out of school one day and brought to the courthouse to find that his parents were getting divorced and they were asking him who he wanted to live with. He didn't know that that was going to happen beforehand. Right? That, <laughs> I know. I was like, out of nowhere, they're just like, by the way, this is what's happening today. And he's like, but I have a test. Right? And when that happened, he just went into such a, like, a state, I guess. Like, it was like he saw his friend it. get decapitated in front of him it was at the like, fraternity It was kind table. of like that. <laughs> He's um, like, it's time for me to ruin everyone's lives around me. And basically, he ran away. Like, from the courthouse at the age of 16. Did he give an answer on who he wanted to live with? He or just he just couldn't, ran? He couldn't handle making that decision. So he was like, I'm just going to run away. That's just okay. what he did. I guess. Sounds like that's the theme of his life. Catch me if you can. Uh, I'm just going to run away. <laughs> run away. Run away. Run away. Run away. So... He ran away. He went to New York City. So, like I said, he was 16 at the time. We're going to talk about the timeline. And right? then is this where Gangs of New York starts? <laughs> <laughs> he so joined a gang. He goes away to New York, and he uh, starts writing bad checks. That's how he gets what he needs is he's writing bad checks, right? Mm -hmm. But people are cracking down on it, and he's, you know, people have seen his face. He's getting harder it's getting harder for him to just, like, write bad checks and steal money, <laughs> even though this is, like, you know, this is, like, the 60s. So they don't have the internet to It was easier up. than it was now. It was easier then, right, than it is now. But he said that one day he saw a pilot and a stewardess together, and he just kind of had this epiphany that if he could impersonate a pilot, that would give him a good explanation as to, like, why he couldn't go to his bank, quote unquote. Because he's like, oh, I'm in town on business. I'm a pilot, as you can obviously tell by my uniform. Oh, my god! So if you could just cash this check for me. That'd be great because I got a plane. That'd be great because I got to go get the plane. Yes. So that became his thing. So he was like, okay, well, how do I get this pilot uniform? How do I, like, how do I get this? How do I get started with this? So he called Pan Am. 
And he was like, hey, is there a distributor in your New York to get a new uniform? Because, you know, I'm a pilot for you guys. My kid threw up on mine. And I'm staying in a hotel and the hotel dry cleaner lost my pilot uniform. Is there a distributor somewhere around here that I could get a new pilot's uniform so that I could, like, you know, come back and do my job? And they're like, yeah, no problem. And Not they gave a problem. him the information. Oh, my gosh. So that he could get a Pan Am pilot's uniform. Now, Pan Am, it's short for Pan American. It, they don't exist anymore. But at the time, like, they were the big airline. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, they were a huge deal. So he got the suit. He got the uniform. He was able to make himself a fake ID. And he was able to impersonate a pilot. Now, he never flew. Thank God. He never flew in his time impersonating a pilot. But if you talk to him, he'd say, but I could have. But he used this basically to fly for free when he wanted to go places. And he wouldn't go to Pan Am because he was afraid they would look him up. So he would wear his Pan Am pilot suit and then go to Delta and be like, hey, Delta, do you have any flights with a jump seat available tonight going to Mm -hmm. Chicago? And the jump seat, for those of you that don't know, uh, um, I know about it because I have a friend who is a flight attendant. So the jump seat is a seat that's like, it's never for passengers. It is always for like an employee of the airline. It's usually in like either up in or near the cockpit or it's in the very back near like the lavatories where they have all the storage stuff for, you know, like the food, food, alcohol, all that stuff. Right. All the good stuff. So he would just go and talk to other airlines and say, hey, I'm a pilot for Pan Am. I'm trying to get to such and such. Do you have a jump seat available? And he would get the seat and he would just fly for free in his so that's uniform. His, he's like hashtag for my vlog life hack um, hashtag life hack pretend you work at pan am but go to a different airline and ask to use the jump seat so he did this for about a year and he or no sorry for about two years he was Ooh. traveling around impersonating a pilot and he was like okay one i'm kind of bored and two like i think somebody's gonna kind of figure me out easy <laughs> So he's like, what do I want to do next? (laughs) So next he decided he wanted to be a doctor. Oh, my gosh. So mind you. um, So he called up Pan Am and he was like, I'm a doctor, but the dry cleaners ruined my doctor's coat. Where can I get a distributor? So when that first stuff happened, he was like 16, 17. So now he's like 18. And he looked older. I was going to say, he's pl- pretending to be a pilot at 18. Like, they, they showed, um, I've seen, like, pictures of, like, his ID from, like, Pan Am and stuff. I would not have guessed that was a 16-year-old. Like, he looked like a man. Wow. Like, he looked like a grown man. So, he's, like, 18. He's, like, now I want to be a doctor. <laughs> so, he's living in Georgia at the time, and he befriended a doctor. And he was, like, you know, like, I, you know, I just moved here. I went to medical school, um, and I'm looking to... Like, get a job. Like, can I, you know, shadow you? Could you mentor me so I can learn, you know, (laughs) how to doctor? And the guy's like, yeah. So he fakes a transcript. He fakes the credentials because they don't have the internet yet. So I I guess he's, like, going to the library. Yeah. being in He's got But literally, he's, like, cutting things out, pasting them. Mm -hmm. Right? So he makes his fake information, and he gets a job working at the hospital. So at the hospital there, again, he never operated while he was impersonating a doctor. Better than Dr. Dunch. Right? Ooh. <sighs> so he never operated. He would use his time, um, you know, basically either shadowing other people or there was a time where they put him in charge of the residence program. They, like, kind of portrayed this in the movie where, like, he didn't really – he just asked a lot of questions and he didn't really do anything where he would be like, Dr. Smith, what do you think is wrong with this patient? Okay, Dr. Thomas, do you agree with Dr. Smith's diagnosis? What would you do in this situation? Wow. But he didn't really give any answers. He just asked a lot of questions. He just yes-anded his way through it. Yes. He yes-anded his way through the hospital. That's exactly what happened. So, after about a year of that, he's like, all right. I'm bored. And part of it, I think, and he doesn't really even say he was bored. Every time he's like, I feel like this person was catching on and I had to jump ship. (laughs) And so I decided this was my new (laughs) job. What's next? Next, he decides. Astronaut. He's going to be a lawyer. Mm. Close. So he's he does the doctor thing for about a year. So now he's like 19, 19, 20. 
and he decides that he's going to be a lawyer. He said that he passed the Georgia bar after 13 weeks and three tries. Uh, and then he worked with the DA for one year. And again, what made him end up leaving that job was, you know, he had faked all his credentials. One of the things was that he said he went to Harvard Law and then he ended up working with somebody who went to Harvard Law uh, and he felt like that guy was starting to get suspicious. So he was like, oh, it's got to go. So then he moved to Utah where he met someone who was a professor at BYU. And he was like, you know, <laughs> I went to school to teach. You should get me a job at BYU. I'm a professor. So he faked his credentials. He faked his. He's like, did you know I'm a doctor? His information. Uh, and he was hired as a professor. And he said that a lot of students said that he was their favorite. He was very popular. And he worked there for a year. Well, he was popular because he was the teacher that always put on a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Other scams that he said that he ran. Um, was that he rented a security uniform in Boston and he stood outside of a bank safety de like safety deposit box and people would come to deposit and he would be like, oh, the safety deposit box is broken. Just give me your check. I'm going to put it in this bag and at the end of the day today, I'm going to go and I'm going to get all the deposits put in. And that people just- People fell for it? Gave them the check. Oh my God. Yeah. That's ludicrous. So- by this time, the FBI was on to him, right? Yeah, and it's Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks is coming around the corner. <laughs> exactly. Tom Hanks, right, chasing him around. He's got schemes all over the place. So he decides it's time to go to Europe. <laughs> it's time to get out of the gotta U.S. Get out of the country. I got to get out of here. So he goes away to Sweden, and he's kind of bouncing back and forth between Sweden, uh, and Sweden, Switzerland, and France, forging, writing bad checks, like just doing his thing, racking it up, right? And eventually he was arrested in France on a warrant from Interpol after his girlfriend at the time, like, saw a wanted poster and was like, that looks oh, like my no. boyfriend. And she turned him in. So Sweden wanted him extradited so that they could prosecute him. But in after this arrest, France realized, oh, shit, he's been frauding people all over here. Well, we're going to have him serve time here before we extradite him to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So he served six months in a French prison. After he finished his time there, he was extradited to Sweden, where he served another year. Then he was extradited to the U.S. and arrested by the FBI. After learning from an FBI agent that his father had died, he escaped from the FBI. <laughs> he uh, This was uh, portrayed in the movie. And in the movie, they have him escaping through the bathroom, but he said he escaped through the kitchen galley at the back of the plane. But, like, the plane landed... He escaped through the bottom of the plane, ran to the edge of the tarmac, jumped over the fence, ran away. <laughs> I love that. I know. Good for him. He was arrested again, and he was put in a Georgia correctional facility where he says he was the only person to have ever escaped this prison. The way that he escaped this prison was he had his girlfriend smuggle in a uniform and a fake ID. The girlfriend that ratted him out? I don't, I, I'm assuming this was a different girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and he impersonated an FBI agent. I was like, yeah, I'm here inspecting this prison. Time for me to go. And then he walked out of the prison. It's like idiocracy when... He's going into the prison and he just steps into the other line and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong line. I'm supposed to be getting out of prison today. And they're like, you dumbass. Go over here. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. So ultimately he was sentenced again to 12 years for all of his crimes. But after four years, he was approached by the FBI to help teach them how to stop people like him. They're like, how about for the rest of your time, we let you out of prison on the condition that for the next eight years, what would be the rest of your sentence, you're going to work with us to train the FBI how to stop people like you. Yeah. And he's like, sweet deal. deal. Right. Uh, my next con, I wanted to be an FBI agent anyway. So. So recently, to within the past few years, he turned 70 years old. Wow. He worked with the FBI for 40 years telling people, like, here's how to not get defrauded. <laughs> um, and he has worked as a, he owns a consultancy and he works as a consultant on protection and security and how to avoid fraud. 
But the biggest con of all by Frank Abingale is that most of these cons never happened. <laughs> He's a bold-faced liar. Now your question is, what do you mean? Well, he was a little thief, and he did steal from a lot of people. And his big thing was, like, he's, like, I didn't really steal from little people. Like, I stole from, like, corporations. Like, sure, the man. I stole from, like, the man. But the lie deter- detector test determined that, that was, was a lie. lie. <laughs> <laughs> so what did Frank Abigail do? Okay. What's up with this lie? So he gained some popularity in the 70s when he was on a game show that was called Tell the Truth. And they show this at the very beginning of Catch Me If You Can. But the idea of this game show was that there would be three people on. And they're like, okay, one of these people is really this guy. Yeah. This is what they're famous for. Who of these three people do you think is really the character, right? Mm-hmm. Like the main character. And the three people would get up and answer questions. And the two people who weren't the real Frank Abigail would tell lies to try and convince the person that they were the real one. And the real Frank Abigail would try and trick the person into thinking that they weren't the real Frank Abigail. And if the people could guess who the real one is, then they win $500. And if the person who is the real person can convince them that he's not the real person, that person wins $500. He won. They didn't guess. But what his thing was, they were like, okay, the person today is Frank Abigail. By the time this person was 20 years old, they had been <laughs> a doctor, a, pilot. a lawyer, and a pilot, but never had the credentials to do any of those jobs. Who here is the real Frank Abigail? Okay. And he was like, ooh, I like that narrative. Well, and that was the narrative that he gave, right? Oh, but okay. And he gave he didn't give a ton of detail. He just gave, like, that much information. And he won. They guessed it was somebody else. They did not guess it was him. And at the end of the episode, they're like, will the real Frank Abigail please, please stand, stand up? up? And it was like, who is it? Who is it? And then he stood up and everybody cheered because they got it wrong. They didn't know that he was the real guy. And then they were like, tell us more about your story. And he was like, well, when I was 16, I ran away. And he, like, really divulged, right? And people were so, like, people thought this story was so incredible that he kind of, like, picked up steam and he started to get more attention. Now, there were two different journalists who, after this happened, were like, I'm going to investigate this guy's story, who looked into the background and were like, yeah, no, like, that's not legit. But for whatever reason, those stories didn't get picked up. Nobody really cared (laughs) that he was a big fat liar about being a big fat liar. Now, he was a con man, but more of a small con man, and he didn't get away with the things that he claimed to have gotten away with. (laughs) So, yes, he was born when he said he was born. His parents separated when he was 12, and then they got divorced later when he was, like, 15. So it wasn't a surprise, and he didn't run away from the courthouse like he said that he did. All dramatic-like. As far as conning and big business, his very first con was on his own dad. So he's full of shit. What a little twerp. At the age of 15, he used like a gasoline credit card, like specifically, you know, a car expense mm-hmm. card to buy tires, batteries, and other car-related items. Then asked the cashiers to give him cash when he returned them. And his father was liable for the bill. And it was around $3,400. Now, mind you, this was in 1963. So that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money today. Yeah. I don't have that. <laughs> but in the 60s, that was significantly more. So at the age of 16, he did run away from home. But Yeah, because through... he racked up his dad's credit card bill. There you go. It was because of the things that he did. It was not because of, you know, the divorce. He, he couldn't down. decide which parent, whatever. Good Lord. So what crimes did he commit? He altered his driver's license to make himself 10 years older and exaggerated his education. He quit working and wrote bad checks. He wrote hundreds and overdrew his account by thousands and then was and then went into hiding. He started his impersonations, realized that he could cash more bad checks pretending to be other people, which he did do that. He impersonated a pilot and hitched rides, not nearly as many as he claimed to have done, all across the world using a forged pilot ID. And the police began to catch on to his lies, so he decided to run out of town, pretend to be a doctor, and over the next two years, he bounced just from, like, odd jobs around. But he was never working at BYU. That never happened. (laughs) The picture that he had of himself, like, teaching at BYU 
the way someone was like, yeah, that's not real is because in the picture, there was a bottle of Mr. Pibb. And the years that he was claiming to have worked at BYU, Mr. Pibb hadn't come out yet. What a weird thing to notice and call it out on. Right. Like he, it was like Mr. Pibb came out in like 1972 and he's like, oh yeah, this is a picture of me teaching at BYU back in 1970. But like, like Mr. false. But they're like, that's not real. He was caught. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he did serve time. Um, the FBI did not work with him for a long time. <laughs> For much longer, like, and for him to be like, oh, the FBI, like, never caught on to me. Like, they chased him out pretty quickly. That's how he had to get away and, like, <laughs> you know, run across the ocean. So then he wrote a book <laughs> in 2001. You ready for the name of it? I'm so ready. The Art of the Steel. Stop. If you're unaware, there's a Donald Trump book that's very that. famous called The Art of the Deal. I hate that so much. He wrote a book called The Art of the Steel. Um, he also wrote a book in the 80s called Catch Me If You Can, where he wrote and highly exaggerated, if not fabricated, a lot of these stories about the things that he got away with. Of course. And the companies that he said he conned and took all this money from – they're like, that never happened. We would have noticed if that money went missing. Like, we're, that was that's a lot. Lie. That's a lot of money. Right. And he's like, well, of course, they they don't want you to know that I got away. They don't want to let you know I got away with that scam. Oh. <laughs> and you're like, bruh. More people hired him and wanted to know what he was doing after he wrote the book, Catch Me If You Can. He wrote another book called Stealing Your Life in 2007. The movie of Catch Me If You Can brought him tons of money, tons of attention. They made a musical of Catch Me they If You sure Can. They sure did. In 2011. They sure did. I remember that. Or hearing about that. I never saw it. <laughs> Good Lord. So uh, he did con people. He didn't make nearly as, money as he, uh, nearly as much money as he claimed to have made. He didn't work in the places as long as he claimed he did. And some of the lies that he... Like I said about teaching at BYU, like that never happened. There, Sounds like Donald Trump. There are a lot of things, like I said, either that he exaggerated or that he full out fabricated. And what really happened probably lies somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. But he was not as prolific as he claimed to be. <laughs> and he made more money writing and, and talking about the things that he did than he ever did actually like conning people. I see him give him credit for manifesting the life that he wanted. <laughs> I want to be known as this. As a con man. As a con so man. I'm just going to tell people I'm a con man. I just want that life. That's it. Um. So when you look him up, he's not really like defined as a con man. He's defined as a writer. Because Stop. he's more of a. He, he wrote his own destiny. He wrote his own story, you know. So the late 70s was when he gained notoriety when he was on that talk show. And people hired him after that. Mostly to tell them how to not get conned, which was the greatest con of all. Because <laughs> they're paying him money. Because they're paying him money to tell them more lies. He looks, um, if I were going to cast him, older him in a movie nowadays, first of all, he would not be Leonardo DiCaprio. But modern him is like Larry David. Huh. <laughs> this is Frank Abigail now. I see it. Definitely. I right? see it. And then I do want to show you the picture of him in the Pan Am uniform because, again, he was 16, but he definitely looks, looks like, a grown like ass he is man. older. Right. And I'm like, damn. And also, he's no Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> to be clear. So this is him in the Pan Am uniform. And that's him, yeah, at 16. Like, he looks easily like a like no. a 25, 26, if not 30-year-old man. That man has a four-year-old child. <laughs> that is a man. Uh, so a new book that came out in the, uh, last year, actually, in 2001, uh, or 2021, sorry. I was like, wait a minute, what? Now, I told you those two journalists at the time were hot on the trail that were like, this never happened. But those stories really didn't go anywhere. So for years, people have believed that all the things that he said were true. It wasn't really until last year that it became very publicly known that most of his stories were lies. 
So his big, uh, this is, and I'll just read you this headline. His biggest con, new book claims Frank Abagnale's fantastic feats in Catch Me If You Can, posing as a Pan Am pilot in the 60s and stealing $2.5 million, were inflated or impossible because that's the time when he was in prison. <laughs> like most of the things that he claimed happened, happened in the timeline where he was serving time for the petty crimes that he did. Well, he had time in prison to come up to with come this up story. with this great story. Duh. So a lot of the the crimes that he claims to have committed are during the years when really and truly he was already in prison for wow. the other crimes that he did. Wow. So his biggest con of all is convincing everybody what a great con that man he was. He was a con man. That he was a good con man because he was a con man. <laughs> And I guess he was a good, he conned a lot of us. He conned a lot of people. That's really silly. It's really silly. And at least he didn't. At least no one died. Right. I was like, he didn't strangle anybody and threaten their life or ruin their life. Like, or he ruined their life. He, like my you know, story. might have ruined his own father financially. Yeah. Well. But that's it. Which that's... one of us hasn't done that? Whew. <laughs> but that's Frank Abigail Jr. Wow. Interesting. Catch him outside. How about that? Catch him if you can. How about that? Outside. How about that? The troubled teen industry is is terrible. I thought you were going to be like, he moved to Utah and started this camp. Oh, Ah! no. This is a prequel to last week's story. Ah! No, just kidding. Just kidding. But that's it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's good. I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting our podcast. Thank you so, so much. Other ways you can support us, of course, are by subscribing to our Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash deadtime stories with a Z. We have deadtimestories.com where you can purchase merch. And of course, the best way that you can support us that costs zero dollars is by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you listen to your podcast. And then tell your friends to listen, please, and to give us a five star review. And then sign in to all your other email addresses and, and then give us give a five star review. review. We know you got them. We know you have them. That's it. I'm That's Stephanie. It. And I'm Sarah. And this has been. Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 